Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. What do we do when we come up against things that are difficult? And we call it in our spiritual journey, uh, temptation, temptation against sin. And so uh, if you will, as we kind of transition into our message time this morning, would you just pray with me? And we'll, uh, we'll start to think toward this passage of scripture that, uh, that we're going to walk through this morning. Heavenly Father, we just want to tell you how much we love you today. We're grateful, God, for your uh, grace toward us, for your mercy. We're thankful that you give us uh, life and hope. We're thankful that in the middle of the hardships we face in life and this, the torrent of emotions that Gordon was just talking about, that you're right there with us and that you identify with us, that you see us and you know us and that we can learn to trust you in the middle of all the things that we deal with. Uh, so Father, I pray that you would help turn our hearts and our attention, our focus this morning towards your word so that we can hear from you, so that we can line our hearts up with yours, and so that we can better uh, be equipped to follow you as uh, believers in Jesus Christ. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We are going to be talking, like I said a minute ago, about uh, temptations, temptations that we all face. We just came through a teaching series on uh, a marriage and parenting and kind of realized that that's not a life situation that everyone finds themselves in. And so we started going, you know, what would be a good way to transition to something that impacts all of us, that we can all jump around? And we thought, man, what a better place than sin and temptation. And so we're going to jump into this idea that all of us experience temptation in life, things that would entice us and drag us away from a relationship with Jesus. But the good news news is, is that we don't have to give in to temptation. We don't have to sin in our lives. And so we're going to talk through that as we go through this teaching series. Uh, temptation comes in all different shapes and all different sizes, and it's different for all of us. That's one of the really incredible things about life is that the things that I might struggle with in temptation to sin, you may not. So the things that I would go, man, that's really hard for me to avoid, or it's a really difficult thing for me not to do in order to stay on the righteous path of following Jesus, you might look at it and go, I don't get it. I don't see why that's such a big issue for you. Uh, and the same thing might be true as I look at your life. There are any number of things we could be tempted to do. Uh, for some of us, sexual sin is a huge temptation. For others, it may be stealing, taking things that don't belong to us. Still yet, it might be overindulgence that you might say, I, I have a tendency to want to eat too much or drink too much or gamble too much or do whatever. And anything that becomes an overindulgence, we have to really struggle through. And then for some of us, it may be something like worshiping false gods and turning things into idols. We've said before that our hearts can be idol-producing factories. We can fall in love with all kinds of things that become idolatrous to us, that we make them our gods. Worse yet, what we'll discover throughout this series is that we want to be God. We want to be in control, right? That I want to do the things that I want to do no matter what God says to me in his person, through Jesus, in his word. And so I want to be God. And so that's where we're going to jump in a little bit this morning. The list of temptations goes on and on, but there are three 
that we're going to see that I believe impact and affect everyone. In fact, 1 John says it this way. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so John indicates these three things, right? the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These three things that tend to be temptations for all of us. We're going to see this lived out in Scripture in Jesus' life. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is look at one specific passage of Scripture where Jesus faces these temptations. Did you ever think about Jesus being tempted to sin? Most of us think, oh man, Jesus just flew above all of that. He was never tempted to sin. There was never anything he was even remotely tempted to do wrong. But that's just not true. The Bible tells us that he was like us in every way, even in his temptations, and yet he was without sin. And so we're going to look at some things that Jesus faced in his life, and we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 4. You can also find the story in Luke chapter 4, and then Mark alludes to it early in his gospel. But we're going to primarily look at Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to see these temptations that Jesus faces. But here's what I want us to see before we look at this passage of Scripture, and I want us to get as keys to the series that we're about to walk through. So there's three things. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you just to write some of these things down and help you get some keys to really figuring out what's going on in this. The first thing is this, that we need to learn that Jesus can be trusted. He can be trusted as our Savior. He is the legitimate representative of God to pay for our sins. And so when we see Jesus and how he faces temptation and how he overcomes temptation, we learn in our lives to say, that's someone I can trust to help me in my temptation. He is the Savior of the world. We learn that Jesus is the Savior and he can be trusted. Number two is this, that Satan uses the same deceptions over and over and over again. The Old Testament would say it like this, that there's nothing new under the sun. Even the temptations that Satan uses to come against us, it's the same things that he's been doing for millennia, that mankind has struggled with the same pull towards specific sin. And so we see that play out. So Satan uses these same deceptions. We have to learn to identify them and then stand against them. That's our place. To say, I see this as a temptation. Now, how do I stand against it as I've identified? Here's number three. It is possible to resist sin and to walk in righteousness. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. Right? And so it is possible if you have sin in your life that's just recurring sin, repetitive sin, you keep going back to this thing that entices you, that pulls you away from Christ. I want you to learn today and through this series, it is possible to learn in the power of the Spirit and through knowing the word of God to say no to sin and to embrace righteousness. So those are the three keys that we're going to kind of be holding on to as we go through this. The first thing we're going to see in this series is how the writers of the gospel take what happens in the life of Jesus, and they're going to parallel that to the Old Testament. 
And this happens a lot in the gospel writings, that we'll look at something that happened in the Old Testament, and we'll see how Jesus actually fulfills things in the New Testament. This is no different. And so here's what we're going to find. When Jesus is being tested in the wilderness, there's this correlation to what happens with the people of Israel in the wilderness as they're wandering through the wilderness to the promised land that God has given them. And there are temptations and there are things that come up that they don't always follow God. And we're going to see if Jesus is going to do what Israel did not and could not. So we're going to see this parallel take place. And so here's what I find as we read the Old Testament. You'll remember that the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God released them from their bondage. Miraculously, he helps them escape from Egypt. And the first thing he does is brings them to the Red Sea. And they walk through the Red Sea. The sea is parted. God does a miracle through Moses, and the Red Sea is parted, and the people of Israel walk through the sea. Where do they get once they go through the sea? They get to the wilderness. And for 40 years, because of their disobedience, because they're not willing to listen to God and obey God and follow God, God says then for 40 years, you're going to wander around in the wilderness. I'm not going to take you directly to the promised land. You're going to experience some days of trial and temptation and wandering. And so that's what we find in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 8, we're told what God was achieving in those 40 years or attempting to achieve in those 40 years. Here's what Moses writes in Deuteronomy 8 too. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Right, So God tells the people through Moses, listen, here's what's going on during this whole period of time, these 40 years in the wilderness. God was trying to see, would you be faithful to him? Would you be obedient to him? Are your hearts toward him or are your hearts hard against him? It's really about the connection of God and man and our hearts to his. And so he says, that's what I'm trying to achieve. Israel was the nation that God had chosen to advance his plans in the world. Say, I've chosen you. I've picked you. You are my people, my nation. And through you, I want the whole world to be blessed. I want the world to know who I am as they watch you. But over and over and over again, the nation of Israel goes against God. They don't want the things of God. They choose to abandon God and his ways. And in the wilderness... God is looking to see what their hearts are going to be like. Would they obey and keep his commands? And the answer all too often was no. No, they're not going to do that. And then we move to the New Testament, and we see Jesus come onto the scene. Jesus comes through the nation of Israel. He is the ultimate blessing that God had chosen to send, and he is going to introduce the covenant of grace. The covenant came through Israel, but it would happen in the person of Jesus. And as we read the story of Jesus, I want you to notice the similarities between what Jesus experiences and what Israel went through. So here's where we jump into Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to get into Matthew chapter 4. So this is just going to flow through the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Matthew 3, verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up 
out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Then you get into Matthew chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, what do we see here? There's a couple of things that are going on. And if you're seeing this and paying attention to it, I hope you notice the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God takes the people of Israel through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. In the New Testament, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, what does God do? He takes him to the water to be baptized. As he comes out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descended on him. The heavens open. The voice of God speaks over him. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. And then it says that he was led where? To the wilderness. Through the water to the wilderness for the Old Testament people of Israel. Through the water to the wilderness for Jesus. And in this moment, we're going to find what Jesus is going to do that the people of Israel could not. And so we're going to see the power that God has through him while in the wilderness. Israel didn't remain faithful to God. So is Jesus going to do the same in this, uh, in this same situation? But before we get into the specifics of the temptation that Jesus is going to face today, I want us to see a few things really quickly uh, and talk about some of the important things in the text so far. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, write some of these down. Number one is this. The times of temptation came on the heels of a great spiritual event. Did you notice that? For the people of Israel, they are released from slavery in Egypt, only to face temptation in the wilderness. For Jesus, he comes through this baptism, the voice of God speaking, the spirit of God ascending on him, descending on him, and then he's led into the wilderness. It's after these moments of great spiritual blessing, the temptation comes. And I can only tell you that in my life, that's been true over and over again. After great mountaintop experiences, I can remember so many years of taking students to camp and having incredible times at camp and seeing God work in kids' lives and do different things, and then only to come home and to realize how tired I am and how up I've been for such a long period of time to let my guard down and all of a sudden to face temptation to sin that I wasn't prepared for. And sometimes it's after moments of great spiritual blessing and encouragement that we're the most available to stumble in temptation. So we have to know that, and we have to learn to guard against that. And I had to get that in my mind. Hey, coming off of a great spiritual high, I need to know Satan is probably going to come against me with something. Why? Because Satan doesn't want me to enjoy that deepening relationship with God that I've been developing and working on. So he'll do anything he can to trip me up, to keep me from experiencing the goodness and the glory of God. So that's number one. Here's number two. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Did you notice that when we read from Matthew? That it said the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. Now that would beg a question, right? Why? Why would the Spirit do that? And it's a great question. And so what we see in Scripture over and over again, it's a consistent theme that God uses the wilderness to prepare people for next steps in ministry. 
Over and over again, we see that in, in, the, in the biblical narrative. That through the wilderness, God will prepare people. That he'll take them and he'll, he'll chisel away things in them to make them ready for a next stage in life. He refines people there for a greater thing ahead. It's the place to gain clarity and to learn dependency on God. In the wilderness where you have nothing but God to meet your needs, you become very reliant and dependent on him. My son is with a group of guys this weekend, and they're out somewhere on Ron Mountain hiking and camping. He's in eighth grade. He's never done any of this before. <laughs> and he's like, man, we are facing some weird stuff out here. There's storms and thunder and lightning, and here we are in tents and under trees, and what are we going to do? And I'm, well, there's anxiety that's going on. There's all kinds of things that they're facing, right? And they're having to overcome some things. But it's in those moments where you go, we don't have anything. We've got God, and we've got one another. My brothers that are on this trip with me, so we're going to pray, and we're going to get in God's word, and we're just going to encourage one another, and we're going to seek after God, and we're going to hope that through these things, when we come out on the other side and there's sunshine today instead of rainstorms, that we experience the goodness and the glory of God. Right? And that's the same thing that God does. He takes Jesus to the wilderness, just like he takes other leaders in scripture to the wilderness. Why? To refine, to prepare, to gain clarity, to seek dependency, and then to say, what's your heart going to be like toward me? Are you going to be ready for me to lead you? Are you going to trust me? Because while you're here, you have nothing else but me. So that's what Jesus is seeing and experiencing. Here's what I would want you to know when we ask that same question. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness knowing that testing from the devil is going to come there? This doesn't catch God off guard, right? He's not surprised that Satan's waiting to test Jesus and to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Here's what I would want you to know. We're told in James that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The Spirit is not leading Jesus to be tempted, but the Spirit is placing Jesus in a location where he knows temptation is going to come. And sometimes that happens. God doesn't tempt us, but God will allow us to face temptation. God will put us in places where we are in our situation facing things that tempt us to sin. And he's constantly drawing us to a place to say, will you let me walk you through this and guard you? So will you trust me so that you don't sin? Will you go through the temptation, go through the trials, go through the difficulty, knowing that I'm right there with you every step of the way? And so this is what's going on with Jesus. What the Spirit does as he takes him into the wilderness is he does what James again says. The point of temptation is always to mature us and grow our faithfulness so that we become mature and complete, not lacking anything that God would have to use for our lives. Like when you face temptations in your life, you fall on words like that from James. He says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished its work, brings us to a place of maturity and completion so that we're not lacking in anything. That's the desire, and that's what is taking place here. 
And then we learn this as well in Scripture. We learn that Jesus is like us in every way, even to the point of facing temptation. And yet he doesn't sin. He doesn't give in to the temptation, which is good for us to know because when we watch him and we see that he remains sinless, we find that he is the legitimate substitute and the sacrifice for our sin on the cross. Only the sinless sacrifice is good enough to bring our salvation. If Jesus had sin in his life like you and I have sin in our life, he can't pay for our sins because he's spotted just like we are. But because Jesus faces temptation and doesn't sin, now we know that we can trust him to pay for our sins, that he is the sacrifice that was worthy of going to the cross on our behalf, the one sent by his Father to this earth to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us from our sinfulness, and then to show us the way to learn in him as we have a relationship with him to avoid sin and to walk in righteousness. And so that's what we find in this. Now, I want to encourage you this week to look at two passages of Scripture. I'm not going to take the time to read them right now, but I want you to go back this week and just look at these two. There's one in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and then again in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It's in your notes if you've got our app and you're following along our outline. Uh, if you don't have our app, just write these down. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, and Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. They just talk about this idea of who Jesus is as our great high priest, as the sacrifice for our sins, that because he's been tempted in every way like we have and is without sin, he knows how to bring mercy and grace to us when we face sin, when we have troubles and temptations in our life, and when we stumble into those sinful things. He knows how to rescue us. And the blessing of these passages and others like them is this, that we get to see Jesus conquer temptation firsthand so we know that in his power, we can do the same thing. Not because we're so great, but because Christ in us allows us to overcome those things that Satan would put in front of us. James even says, what, what entices us to sin? It's our own wicked desires. Sometimes we, have to, we don't need to give credit so much to Satan. It's just our own wickedness inside of us that tempts us to sin. And yet when we look at the example of Jesus, we learn how to say no to those things. Now, with the time left that we have this morning... I want us to look at this first temptation that Jesus faced, and we're going to do that in Matthew's gospel. You can also find it, like I said, in Luke chapter 4. But Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, here's what we read. Jesus was led into the, uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, to be honest, when you read this, what's the sin there? Did anybody pick up on the big, gruesome, ugly sin? He comes to Jesus and says, hey, you're the son of God. Turn, turn these stones into bread. And you realize at that moment that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and Matthew tells us he's hungry which may be one of the largest understatements in all of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever not eaten or drank for 40 days and 40 nights, but at the end of that period of time, you are way beyond hungry, right? 
And so Satan just comes along and says, if you are the son of God, turn some stones into bread. Right? And so we see that, and it kind of looks innocent. But we have to ask this, the question, number one, man, who is this guy that's talking to Jesus? And when we figure that out, we start to understand that we have to be careful about this. Matthew calls him the tempter. Mark says it's Satan. Luke says the deceiver comes to Jesus, right? So the tempter, the deceiver, and Satan. This is who's coming to Jesus and saying, hey, why don't you just turn those, if you're so hungry and if you're the son of God, just turn those stones into bread and eat something for goodness sake. Right? And so that's what we're facing. And here's what I would say. No matter what Satan says, if it comes out of his mouth, we should question it. Right? It may seem innocent. And you might be looking at that and going, I don't, I don't get it. What's the big, gruesome, ugly sin that he's tempting Jesus to do? But if it comes out of the mouth of Satan, it needs to be something that we question his motives. Just because Satan says to Jesus, it seems harmless, doesn't mean it's true. Here's the next blank on your outline. The devil wraps temptation in pretty packages. Like he's going to take something that's beautifully wrapped to present it to us. It wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't attractive to us, right? Like you can hold broccoli out in front of me and go, I bet you won't eat this broccoli. And I'll be like, you're right. Because that's not a pretty package. I'm not tempted by that whatsoever. But if you wrap up a Dr. Pepper can and put it in front of me, <laughs> bet you won't drink this. Yeah, I will. Give it that, right? That's a temptation to me. I want that. Satan wraps things up in pretty packages. And so when he does this to Jesus, he does it the same thing to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Right? Did God say you really aren't going to die? Is that really what he said? Here's what God knows. If you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him knowing good and evil. And doesn't that seem appealing? For humans like us to hear you could be like God and know something that's bigger than you? Man, what happens? Adam and Eve bite. I mean, literally, they take the bite. They go, yeah, I want that. I want to be like God. I don't want to just have a relationship with God. I want to be like him. I want to know everything God knows. And so what we find with Jesus here, here's what I want you to see and write down. The true temptation is for Jesus to take control. When you ask the question, what's Satan really tempting him to do? Turn some stones into bread. He's tempting Jesus to take control of his own situation. Hey, Jesus, you're hungry. God put you out here in this wilderness. It's been 40 days since you've eaten anything. You have the ability and you have the power and you have the desire to eat something. Why don't you just take control of your situation and do it? And the temptation here is control. Hey, you be the master of your own destiny. You be the captain of your ship. You decide what's good for you. Don't let God tell you what's good for you. You know as well or better than God what you want and what you need. So just take control. Turn the stones into bread, Jesus. You take control. Leave God out of this. How many times are we tempted to do that? Just leave God out of that situation. You know what's best for you. 
You don't need to trust what his word says. You don't need to believe what he's told you. You don't need to listen to anyone else of spiritual authority in your life. You do what you're going to do no matter the consequences. You take control. We're tempted with this over and over and over again. And it goes back again, this tie-in to the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and Jesus in the wilderness. When the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, what's the first thing that happens? They start complaining to Moses because there's no what? There's no food. (laughs) Hey, Moses, you brought us out here into the wilderness. This God that you say you serve brought us into this wilderness, but there's nothing to eat. We would be better off going back to Egypt to slavery at least there where they were beating us and killing us and making us do all their work for them. At least they were feeding us at the end of the day. Let's go back there. The Israelites wanted to take control away from God and go back to what God had rescued them from. That's what Jesus is facing. Hey, are we going to trust God to meet our needs and take care of us in this wilderness setting? Or are we going to wrestle control away from him and do it our way? This is the wrestling match of humanity. Am I going to trust God and give him control? Or am I going to wrestle it away from myself? I want control. I want to be God. I want to do what's good for me. Jesus finds himself in that place. He's hungry. He's being tempted to make food for himself out of the rocks. He's being tempted to take control. But listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 4, he says back to the deceiver, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there's a few things that I want us to pay attention to here. Three things really quickly. Number one is this. Jesus replies not with his feelings, but with the truth of Scripture. When Satan says, why don't you turn this stone into bread? He goes, well, because I feel like I'm supposed to. He goes, no, it's written. Man shall not live on bread alone. This is not about how he feels. It's about the truth. This is what God says. This is the bank truth. And so I'm going to do that. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, by the way. He's quoting something that Moses has been talking to the people of Israel about. Remember when God led us into the wilderness and for these 40 years, he's been asking us if we're going to trust him with our hearts or not. And over and over again, we've said, no, we're not. We're going to be in control. And then Moses says to the people, God wants you to know it's not living by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of his mouth. He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to meet your needs. You can trust him. And every time you question whether or not you can trust him, every time you wrestle and I wrestle with the desire to take control of our own lives, we need to look back at this and say, it's written in the word of God that the things that come out of his mouth will meet my needs. He has the power when I want it. So I'm going to trust him. Here's the second thing we find. Jesus thought beyond the moment of his temptation. How many times do we just get caught up in, oh, that looks good right now. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to bite on this temptation. I'm going to jump into this sin because it looks good to me right now with no thought of forward. What's going to happen as a consequence of this? How many marriages have been ruined? How many relationships with kids have been ruined? How many careers have been ruined? People just jumped into something that in the moment looked good, but they had no forward thinking ability to say this is going to cost me in the long run. A guy named Gary Hogue wrote this, the strategy of the enemy is to get us to focus on the immediate, the urgent, and the necessary 
and to take small matters into our own hands. The temptation is to lose sight of the greater work that's taking place. And by missing it, we cooperate with the enemy. And more important, we exchange dependence on the Father for independent self-reliance. Listen, church, I can tell you, faithfulness to God over your lifetime is far better than the pursuit of fleeting, sinful desires. That's what God desires for us. He wants us to be faithful and obedient to him no matter what temptation gets put in front of you. Here's the third thing, the last thing. Jesus wants intimacy with God more than he wants control. Right? He wants intimacy with God more than he wants control. His physical hunger was nothing compared to his spiritual hunger, his spiritual thirst. Right? And so when we thirst after God and hunger for God, we don't end up losing intimacy. Just ask Adam and Eve how that worked out for them. They take a bite of that fruit in the garden and they lose intimate fellowship with God. They're removed from the garden setting. And the problem for all of us is that we want that control. And so here's the last fill in the blank that I want to give you this morning. We have to determine what's more significant for us trusting ourselves or trusting God. And so here's what we would say by rejecting the temptation of being in control. Jesus confronts a worldly value and he replaces it with a kingdom ethic. Jesus rejected this idea that I'm meant to be in control of me and in individuality. And I want to see the bigger story of God and his ark, his great story, what he's going to do in this world when I remain in obedience to him. So for us, as we close up this morning, just one last passage of scripture to look at. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 kind of gives us this idea that we don't have to stumble in sin. When tempted, there's the ability to overcome. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. When you're tempted to sin... God provides an exit ramp. The path that you're on where sin is right in front of you, he tells us nothing is put in front of us that we can't overcome through his power. When you're tempted, he will provide a way out. Our job, when we recognize temptation, when we recognize the propensity to sin is there, is to take the exit ramp. Is to go, this is a path I don't need to be on. And start looking and saying, what is God doing to provide the out for me? So when you're tempted to sin, what I want to challenge you and encourage you to do this week is to start looking around, going, this is a temptation for me. This is a struggle for me. Here's where I fall often into sin. But I know God's provided an out. And start looking for that. Maybe it's through accountability. Maybe it's through relationships with others. Maybe it's through grabbing his word and feeding your mind and your heart with the truth of God's word. Maybe it's singing worship music to him. Maybe it's making a phone call and and telling somebody, hey, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I'm facing. Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me right now? There's an exit ramp. We have to be able to find it and then take it. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.